Hello and welcome to Cutting for the Ball in the post shoot Apocalypse. I'm Ben, and as always I'm hanging out with Mike, Hello, Claire, hey. and Pete. Hey. And today we are going to finish off One Blue of the Cuckoo's Nest episode with a little look at electrotherapy, lobotomies, and the worst places to spend your time if you are mentally ill. Telford. <laughs> no, no, didn't oh, make right. the list, didn't make the list. <laughs> this society. Didn't make the list. Boom. <laughs> Oh, that's a, that's a sucker punch to the establishment, Mike. They'll hear that and go, shake their fists and wonder what's to be done with this Mike Martin who's making such cutting satire against them. On the All right, is that the gun? Let's thank some new material in this disperse and then we'll get into how we'd fuck with people's heads even more. Phoenix in Arizona, Berlin in Germany, Frankfurt am Main in Germany, Dublin, Ireland, Berlin, we got a lot of German listeners. Parump in Nevada. That's a new one. I haven't seen that before. Where? Parump. Parump, I like that name. That's quite a cool name. I could be wrong. I think it's somewhere. Some, some fucking UFO law to do with Pahrump. Could be wrong, I'm not sure. Leave or, oh, my, oh shit, we've got a French listener. Uh-oh. I've been, mocking the, I've been mocking the French the last few weeks. And now one shows up on the list you've What's never had one before. the last few weeks? The last few years? Well, the last <laughs> at least 32 years mm. of my life. Hanoi in Vietnam. Niles mm. in Michigan. Redmond, Washington. Lawrence, Kansas. Let's see, moving to the top ten a bit. Surrey in Canada, Bengaluru, India, Madrid, Spain, Boardman, Oregon, Guadalajara, Spain, Stevenage in the United Kingdom, Ashburn, Virginia, and New Inn at number one, and I don't think that London has ever been number one before. Thank you very much, London. Cheers. Cheers, guys. Cheers, mate. Presumably there's a bunch of people really fucking bored waiting for shit to happen for this Jubilee business. In London, in yeah. London. Cheers, geezers. Yes, we're recording on the Queen's Jubilee, aren't we? The Platinum Jubilee. You know, well, I'm, while I am a, an anti-monarchist, I will still say, cheers for the day off, you lizard. <laughs> <laughs> I won't go quite that far, but cheers, Liz. God save the goat-legged one. You leave Satan out with this. <laughs> I meant Liz. <laughs> the ironic thing is, of course, it's like 70 years, it's like a massive achievement, isn't it? But... She's ruled in a period of virtual peace and prosperity. Well, peace. It's not like she'd have to hold the kingdom together at the point of a sword, is it? She hasn't had peace. Well, she hasn't. What We've I mean, at, we're like literally been at war. Yeah. Like, what What I mean is since World War Two. No one's going. No one's tried to invade us. She hasn't had to go oh, up no. to Scotland with a bunch of knights and take on some rebellious Scottish nobles and then scoop back down to deal with the Vikings. Hasn't she? No. She had it really easy. Oh. As, as monarchies go, she's had it pretty cushy. So that's what, and you know, she's got the best of everything. That's why she's lasted seventy years on the throne. Well, we, we, we've advanced quite a lot as well. Oh yeah, I mean, I, I'll give her a bit of respect because she, you know, there's been no scandal. She's performed her duties. She's put the country above no herself. No scandals from her, but no scandals of her, just the kids. Yeah, yeah, well, the grandkids. I suppose the scandal really is that you know she's paid twelve million quid of our money to defend her paedophile son. She has got her own money though, hasn't she? Where do you think it comes from? And if not now, then at some point in our past. At some point in her family's past, they've taken that money from us, Mm -hmm. from the Empire, from wherever. That money has been taken from us. Yeah. Yep, and now it's in the Cayman Islands. Well, no, it's in Virginia Guthrie's bank account at the moment. 12 million of it is. It's just dropping the ocean, isn't it? Mm. The land shows as well. Fucking hell. Yep. Well, most of the country, technically. Yeah. A lot of it. And there's a few other countries as well. She's still head over. Resides over. Anyway. That's becoming less and less, though. As she's giving him back. Some country left the Commonwealth a few months ago. Barbados, wasn't it? Maybe. Well, it was one of those countries, definitely, yeah. But some other country wanted to join again. Did they? <laughs> I think it was an African country. It might have been Sierra Leone. It has to be placed back under British rule. Uh-huh. Because things were going a bit shit. Fucking hell, must be shit. <laughs> Wasn't it? Yeah. yeah they want to look at our country, they want us to run it. Fucking hell. Yeah, but they know if we did, we'd probably be out of... To at least restore... We, what we would do is restore order, something yeah. the Civil War. We, we, that's, what they, that's what they're hoping would happen. So, yeah. Well, we haven't really got a war to get involved in at the minute. Oh, so. don't worry, we're building towards the Ukraine. Yeah, we're still... 
helping the Saudis bomb no, the we're, we're only selling them weapons, like. Uh, I think we're training them. Well, we have to train them how to use the weapons, mm. but that's probably private companies rather than uh, UK mm. military, because they yes. take the product from it's the like factory. British aerospace and people yeah. like that. Yeah, BAE staff, that would be, yeah. They were no probably doubt. ex-military anyway, in all fairness. No doubt we're helping the Americans and other places like Somalia, Syria. Well, we'll probably have to go north south and give the Argus a thrashing at some point. If you look to our history, we've always been at war. Oh, we've always okay, had something Some of them have only been minor scuffles, but we've always been at war. Well, you've got to keep that industrial military complex turning, haven't you? Well, that's it, isn't it? No need for a military unless you've got something to be doing with them. How do you justify those nuclear submarines and those new aircraft carriers if they just Sorry, sat there? And those new tanks and whatnot and everything else. Yeah. That's it, isn't it? Scary. And the new Harriers that are actually called Lightnings. The F-35B Lightning, yeah. They're fucking amazing. They are fantastic bits of machinery. They do make me wet a little bit. <laughs> they really do. Well, bit of seepage. Well, if you had that scenario, if you had that reaction to a plane, they might have done this to you. <laughs> Electroshock therapy. <laughs> so this is written by the American Journal of Psychiatry. A brief history of electroconvulsive therapy. Some big words in this, so bear with me. It's written by an actual doctor. So, few treatments used in psychiatry have as rich a past as that of electroconvulsive therapy, or ECT. The discovery of it garnered much interest at a time and a few effective interventions for psychotic disorders. There weren't drugs, I and mean, therapy was virtually non-existent. It was probably more like drink a pint of gin and see if you feel better in the morning. <laughs> if you're feeling a bit depressed, visit one of the East End's finest prostitutes. They said he wouldn't have been rum, would it? Because rum makes you glum. But well, gin was... Um, makes you sin. I was a gin was meant to be... What's it called? Mother's Ruin gin, isn't it? Yeah. Does whiskey make you frisky? Yep. <laughs> yeah? Yeah. Well, that, that is right. <laughs> whiskey makes you frisky. Brandy makes you randy. <laughs> Just seems to be a lot of words that are rhyming with the drinks. Vodka makes you vodka. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Mike, I think you'll find his pronoun is Wodka. <laughs> well, they, they were treating with lithium as well, weren't they? Well, yeah, I mean, that's yeah. not good. That doesn't help They, they, they were yeah. trying to make yeah. phones back then. They Fucking still, hell. They still use lithium now, don't they? They do. Yeah, works, I think. No, but this is before, remember, this is before lithium. This is before drugs at this point. The roots of ECT lie in the concept of using one disease to treat another, which was spurred by the discovery of malarial therapy for neurosyphilis. In 1934, Ladislas J. Meduna observed greater micrologia concentrations on pathologic brain sections from patients with epilepsy compared with patients with schizophrenia. He theorised that seizures could be used to treat psychiatric disease, and he intramuscularly injected camphor, which is an epileptogenic agent. So it's basically what would be released into the bloodstream when somebody's having an epileptic fit. Yes, pretty much. Just in layman's yep. terms. And he introduced <laughs> that, he injected that into a mute catatonic patient and induced a generalised tonic-clonic seizure. Although there was no immediate effect, the patient rapidly improved after four more treatments what? and he was soon able to walk, speak and feed himself, although he was unable to recall most of his four-year hospital stay. Wow. So the oh, the better, is. isn't it, that? <laughs> so the well, idea is you use one illness to treat another illness. Well, this has gone back in history anyway. There's always been cases of that. This is where lots of medicines came from, isn't it? Well, like, you got the flu, so I'm going to give you AIDS. Um, smallpox. <laughs> smallpox. Are you quite that dramatic? <laughs> yeah, smallpox. The they first, use big pox. They use cowpox. Big pox go ah, yeah. beat up the smallpox. Yeah, the, you, you, if you and that get, is basically it as yeah, well. Yeah, they found it. If you get injected with cowpox, because they realised that dairy maids didn't get smallpox, then they got cowpox... And because it was a, a minor disease, the uh-huh. smallpox, your body knew how to deal with it, and it, you didn't get it. So they started giving people cowpox to combat smallpox. Oh, yeah. It's similar to the tuberculosis mm. jab, if you remember that from a kid when you have the TB yeah. jab, and you have the, the six needles first, or the eight needles, can't remember what it was. And they'd actually inject the actual 
basically TB into your skin, but your body might already have that yeah. immunity. But they're using mm. the actual disease to yeah. treat well, you, it's, to it's, give you a minor dose of it. To it's every vaccine, it. isn't it? Gives yeah. you a little bit. Most of, of them, yeah. Gives you a little bit of the disease, so your body goes, "Oh, we know what that is." So when you get it, it knows how to fight it. So that's it. So yeah, disease is fought with diseases, and, yeah. and obviously in them days. Yeah, the, but don't give flu yeah. patients AIDS. No, <laughs> yeah, no, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Syphilis. Or syphilis. Or syphilis. Yeah, for that matter. <laughs> Gonorrhea. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> it's the Jimmy Savile School of Medicine. <laughs> She's got a cold. Oh, give her gonorrhea. The <laughs> Jimmy Savile School of Medicine. She's got a cold. Make her suck my dick. <laughs> she can have gonorrhea. <laughs> she can have gonorrhea. <laughs> Medulla's technique was effective but inefficient. Seizures took minutes to begin after the epileptic agent was injected, during which time patients suffered from sympathetic overdrive and a profound sense of terror. Hmm? <laughs> Fucking hell. This is risky business, this is. Yeah. So, so they're just scared to shit. They're just... Petrified of pretty petrified of what you've injected them with. Like and, yeah. Well, you're gonna have a seizure. You'd be terrified, wouldn't you, if you've never had one before? Yeah. So a team of Italian physicians, led by Ugo Saletti and Luciano Bini, sought to derive a method of electrical seizure induction with a quicker onset and fewer side effects, and began by testing their technique in dogs. Trust the Italians who have come up with that idea. <laughs> They inserted one electrode in the mouth and the other in the anus. Oh, lovely. But after observing that this tended to induce cardiac arrest... No fucking So a load shit. of dogs had heart attacks. Heart. Yeah. Obviously, straight through the heart. Like, how stupid. Mm. I understood where they were going, like, but why they'd think that would be a good way of conducting it, but, yeah, fucking hell. Oh, so they did refine their procedure, so the dogs stopped having heart attacks... They were to focus the electrical current cranially. In 1938, they conducted their first human trial on a 39-year-old disorganised man with schizophrenia who had been found wandering at a train station in Rome. What year did you say? 1938. Fucking hell. Not that long ago, is it? No. no. That's what do you think? scary thing. Electricity. When it was first discovered, invented, Edison, wasn't it? Mm. <laughs> It was like, this is a fantastic invention. What can we do with it? Who's the fucker that killed the Didn't elephant the elephant Edison, yeah, Edison. Yeah, it was Edison. Yeah, it was Edison. Yeah, it was the elephant on Yeah, he yeah. killed the elephant. Now look at the practical uses for electricity. He can light your home and kill an elephant. Yeah. Um, Fucked up. Now, with the application of a mere 110 volts of alternating current for 0.2 seconds, they successfully induced a seizure. They administered 10 more treatments over the course of the patient's hospitalisation and successfully attunated his psychosis. So they got rid of it. Such that he was able to return to his wife and job in the community. Well, that's good results, but, isn't it? Well, that's how it sounds. Yeah. But how did it cure him? Did it restore him back to normal functioning? Proper, I don't know. Yeah, he went back to his, went back to his life. Yeah, but what was his job? Well, I don't know. He might his job might. It doesn't really matter what his job is. He went back to his wife. He was wandering around, lost in Rome. He's now back with his wife. He's back in the community. He's got a job. It's a success. Yeah. So how did it all start going so fucking wrong then? Well, the thing is, it didn't go wrong. It was just seen as being more barbaric and barbaric. Yeah. It could be done with drugs rather than shocking people's brains. It did sort of work. But it's actually making a bit of a comeback. So here's my argument on that, right? So if you can have shock therapy over probably a very short period of time and that can, like, sort you right out, then surely there's got to be a more of a modern medical procedure for that where yeah. you can be essentially put to sleep. Whilst. I think that's what they do nowadays, yeah. And then, because a lot of the drugs they use for these kind of ailments are very addictive, and people become dependent on them for years and years and years. Well, take take so, your antidepressants, for example. No, don't, don't, don't take your well, take your antidepressants if you're on them. <laughs> well, I stopped. I stopped at the blue. He said, no, I don't need them. Packed it in, you meant to wean yourself off them. But not, not many people but, um, can. Not many people can. And I'm not saying it was plain sailing, but it was just like... 
I think you I think you can become a little bit too dependent on these things, but I never liked how I felt on them in the first place. No. no and that's another thing. Yeah. So surely if you could have like some kind of shock therapy that's gonna sort you out within a week or two. Well the best thing to think now is psychoactive drugs, DMT. Microdosing yeah. LSD and things like that. Well, yeah. I'm all up for a bit of fucking... And combined with therapy. All up for a bit of DMT and yeah. things like that. Apparently the <laughs> microdosing of LSD is really effective. Obviously that then leads you down various roads where employers might not like you being on microdoses of LSD and things like that, but if it's something you could do while you're off with the sick time... But again, you're talking months worth of microdosing and things like that. Apparently they have... Like, a few sessions and then they're good for six months. That's mm. what the data's saying. Oh, nice. It actually what rewires your brain. And what was the data saying on this, like, shock therapy? Um, don't get me wrong, yeah. I'm not, I'm not condoning shock therapy as they as they practised it because I know they did it on people that didn't need it. Yeah. And think that was where it became... Dangerous. Yes. And also you've got to look at... In the positions that this is being given out in some... Because that's, we'll, as we'll get to, some mental institutions have not been the most humanely run. They're and that is not the best a, trained to do it. They're not doing it properly. It's like not, that it's not well. even, in that scenario where they have absolute power over people, mm. the sociopaths tend to rise to the top. Well, I think it became more of a punishment than a treatment. A punishment as well. But also, think about it this way. It's like the Zimbardo experiment. Everyone heard of that? They did the prison experiment? Mm-hmm. They get a bunch of students in and say, you're prisoners and you lot are guards. And within three days, four days, a week at most, the guards started abusing the prisoners. Uh, Right, yes. Because it's that power. And then they get get swapped over, don't they? Like Mm. next week or something. A lot of the guards refused to fucking participate after that. I have Mm. seen certain things like that, whether it's the same one, but yeah, they've done done that experiment a few Mm. times. Absolute power. Corrupts absolutely yeah, yeah, yeah. In, that, in, the, in the individual, and if you've got individuals in that position, and they're a doctor, and just because someone's a doctor, it doesn't mean they're a sociopath. Look at the Nazis. Yeah. Look at the fucking what's his Harold Shipman. Harold Shipman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Look at that. All of a sudden, you, you know, you, or you do it so often, you just think, I fucking hate these guys. I hate my job. Mm-hmm. Fuck it. I'm gonna bang the voltage up on this one. My old doctor he used to have a Harold Shipman screensaver. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, man, Dr. Parrish from yeah. Dolby. Shout out to you living in Spain somewhere right now. Yeah, you'd go in. He did not give a fuck. He'd give his entire life to the NHS and he hated the way it was going. So he used to have an old shipman screensaver because it stopped the same old people coming in all the time. Because <laughs> that was one of his bugbears. He's the same old person coming in just for the minor thing and wanting a chat for 10 minutes. That was one of his... So he used to have an old shipman. So he used to have an anatomical skeleton stood in the corner with a Mexican sombrero on it yeah. and sunglasses. Yeah, he didn't give a fuck. He knew he was retiring in a couple of years. He got, <laughs> he got his retirement funny. sorted. He was done. He was the best doctor as well. He was. He'd go in and he said to me the once, he goes, ah, oh, Ben, knee, is it? And I hurt my knee at the time. I was off work. He says, I says, yeah, it is, Doc. And he's like, yeah, how long do you want? A week? Two weeks? Make it three weeks. <laughs> Sign the note. Give me... There you go. Off your trot. It's amazing. Fucking brilliant. I was like, thank you very much. That's the kind of doctor you want, isn't he? Yeah, but he was also a very good doctor. Yeah, you if you needed it. So, a method of safe and effective treatment represented a tremendous breakthrough for a field whose sluggish progress once prompted Saletti to call it a funeral science. News about the technique rapidly spread throughout Europe and North America where ECT was first employed in 1940. And it soon proved to be effective for a variety of neurological and psychiatric conditions, including major depression, and was even studied for the treatment of psoriasis, psoriasis and gastroduodenal ulcers. Hmm. Since those early days, continual refinements to the ECT protocol have resulted in the practice being more recognisable to modern psychiatry. That's an interesting thing, so we got it, you know, they're combining the two. But then again, as we've seen in history this is in your best places this is where they're doing the research isn't it yeah doesn't quite trickle down to the asylums like this does it in 1944 vladimir t lieberson shortened the stimulus duration which resulted in a reduction in post-procedure asphasia cognitive blunting and recovery time and in 1952 holmberg and thieslev pioneered modified anaesthetized 
Anesthetized. 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 They're going to knock you out while they do it. Yeah. <laughs> ECT, which further improves patient comfort and tolerability. So they weren't even doing it under anesthesia. In the first place. In the first place. moved on to that. And today, it still goes on. It's making a comeback. Well, I thought it was long gone. I didn't think it was still going. Newer approaches such as repetitive transcranial magnetic stimulation show promise in extending many of the benefits of ECT with a potentially lower side effect burden. And more than eight decades after its discovery, ECT itself also continues to be benefit in the treatment of severe and refractory affective and psychotic disorders. I guess it's just used on the most extreme cases. I, yeah, I guess so. But the, it's still used for depression. But I think the, the difference is nowadays technology's improved. You've probably got this nice little skull cap on. They've refined the voltage over a period of time. So you might just lie there and feel a buzzing. Well, you put you to sleep. Then, well, they put you to sleep. Before, it was like, here, jam these electrodes against the guy's head. Bite it's down on this so you don't swallow your tongue. Yeah, bite on this and you're going to jam these electrodes. And some of the, the, some of the people that will be testing this on aren't going to be your mildly depressed, disorganised, schizophrenic man wandering around Rome. They're going to be violent patients, yeah. aren't they? Mm. They're going to be the worst of the worst you're going to test this on. Until you refine it. So just in case it goes wrong, it doesn't matter too much. Well, that's it. They're in there for fucking life. They've been committed, haven't they? Or just like one flew over the cuckoo's nest, you might have just pissed somebody off or a guard off or, you know, a scene of, as a, I don't know, destructive or... Well, I guess that's another point. I mean, that's go back to the film. He was given it as a punishment, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah. Because he broke the window and took the cigarettes. But he also... Because it undermined her authority as uh, Ratchet's authority. She should have just gone, here's the cigarettes, fucking have them. Mm. Right, it would have calmed the entire situation down. But she wouldn't do it because she runs she that place with an iron down. fist. She didn't want to back down. And in the end, it takes McMurphy to just go in there, smash the window and just take the damn cigarettes and end the whole thing. Yeah, still I'd rather the ECT than the lobotomy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And let's get on to lobotomies. Yeah. Nice. Brutal. Very. So, first introduced in the 1930s, although there is evidence it was done rudimentary before. In other words, you just bash someone's skull in. Probably more as a torture before that. This highly traumatic brain procedure was once seen as a miracle cure for mental illness. Though rarely performed today, the lobotomy might be the most infamous psychiatric treatment in history. I think it's press infamous. Infamous, infamous, whatever, I can say how I want. <laughs> it's the beauty of the English language, it's always evolving. I'm with Mike though, it's infamous. It is, well, like infamous. <laughs> infamous. Lobotomy is a surgical procedure developed almost a century ago to treat severe mental health conditions. And this procedure has varied throughout history, but usually involves inserting a sharp object into the brain to sever certain neural connections. Yes, that's right, they're going to slice part of your brain. Didn't they used to go up the nose? They do there, yeah. that was the uh, later procedure. Although right, okay. No, they, they just go up the arse. They can go through the eye as well. Oof. Today, many people widely consider the procedure barbaric and unnecessary. But experts once believed the lobotomy to be a miracle cure for mental health conditions like treatment-resistant depression. Yeah? Fuck. You're too depressed. You made repeated attempts on your life. Mm-hmm. Fuck it, lobotomizing. But it would have been hundred years ago. And um, you haven't gone too far. No, true. But these would be people who've repeatedly tried it, because at that point they just endangered themselves. So I guess in their thinking, the humane thing was to take away their ability to do that. Well, I'm on medication now to keep it in check, but in them days I wouldn't have had that. No. So I, I could have gone down that route. Potentially. Yeah, I mean, in a what-if scenario, yeah, absolutely. There's, when this is invented, the drugs aren't there, are they? Or oh, the lithium might be creeping in. If you're violently depressed and it's not working, it's treatment-resistant, isn't it? It's not. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people but have been what? using illicit drugs as well to sort of, you know, yeah. still back oh, then. Oh, opium. <laughs> yeah, exactly, you know. Alcohol, anything. Well, Coca-Cola yeah. had cocaine in it at this point, for God's sake. I'm surprised anyone was depressed. Mm-hmm. 
Schizophrenia, of course, well that goes without saying, especially I'd imagine violent schizophrenics. And some personality disorders, which you would link us back to one from over the cuckoo's nest, they would identify McMurphy as having a personality disorder. Yeah. Because he doesn't fit in, basically. Yeah. He doesn't want to go and get a job and uh, work and be a contributor to society. He could have pathological demand avoidance, though, as well. Well, go on, explain that. Well, it's sort of what it says on the tin, really. Whatever sort of demanded with you on a day-to-day -day basis or through life, you just take a bit of an opposite stance and it can become, like, more behavioural, but it started off as, you know, something that it just comes out of nowhere. Do you get me? Sticking your finger up at the big guy. Yeah, sort of, sort of like that, yeah. So, yeah, so you rebel against the system so much... And then it... it, it, it that you, it becomes your entire way of thinking... Yeah, yeah. And you can't see any other point, any other viewpoint. Yeah. Or you stick up for the system, so it could be the other way around, couldn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I feel mental to stick up for this system. <laughs> <laughs> Lobotomies for all! <laughs> it's certainly effective at altering behaviour, and some patients seem to improve after the procedure... But there's different scales of lobotomy. Yep. Depends how much they cut out, I suppose. Yes. Because some did suffer severe and irreparable brain damage. No shit. Like, probably Murphy. Yes. Well, he was just a vegetable, wasn't he, at yeah. that point? He was just shuffling around. Now, a lobotomy is psychosurgery or brain surgery, if you want to call it that, designed to treat a psychological condition. It involves using a sharp surgical tool to sever the neural connections between the frontal lobe, which controls higher cognitive functions like memory, emotions, and problem-solving skills. I don't know the important ones, eh? No, no, no. <laughs> the earliest version of this procedure involved drilling holes in a patient's head and injecting ethanol into their brain to destroy the nerve connections. Fuck. Now that's barbaric. Are we assuming that's the one that... Oh, what's his name? Adding one flew over the cookies nest. No, no, that would have been yeah, the um, sort of two slits. He did. That's they? a different. There's three types. I think there's three types. Oh, okay. The one he had was the most severe type. Oh. This was later refined into a prefrontal and transorbital lobotomy, which usually involves using an ice pick-like surgical instrument called a look. Oh God, a leukotomy. <laughs> Sounds Italian. Leukectomy. I don't know. Yeah. Either way, it's like an ice pick and it goes Leucotomy. in your nose. Leucotomy. Leucotomy. Yeah. yeah. So a prefrontal lobotomy, and that's where you drill holes on either side of the top of the person's skull, and then use the leucotomy to manually sever the nerves between the frontal lobe and other regions of the brain. So that's what that's what he had. Yeah. The transorbital lobotomy. This procedure works the same way as a prefrontal lobotomy. But during transorbital lobotomy, they go through the eye sockets. Fucking hell. So I guess and they pop your eye out and go through the bar. Oh, fucking hell. I want to be asleep for that. <laughs> yeah, you'd be asleep for all of their shirts. They're just waving a stick around in your head, aren't they? Stick of metal, really. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> it is basically an ice pick shoved up your... Yeah. And they go through the nose and the, as well. So it's basically, like... It is, mix yeah. your brain around a little bit, pull it back out and done. Yep. In 1935, the Portuguese neurologist Egas Moniz invented the lobotomy and initially called it the leukectomy. He was inspired by the early work of Swiss psychiatrist Gottlieb Buchthardt, who performed some of the earliest psychosurgeries during the 1880s. Oh. You'd have had anaesthetic then. Yeah? Yeah. Just about. Would he use Chloroform. Them? Probably, I'd have thought so, yeah, because... There'd be a lot of kicking and screaming. Yeah. <laughs> so in November of 1935, Monitz performed the procedure for the first time in a Lisbon hospital. He was Portuguese, by the way, putting that out. He hasn't just gone to Lisbon to do it. He's, yeah. he's on there. He drilled holes in the person's skull and injected pure alcohol into the frontal lobe to destroy the tissue and nerves. And in 1949, he received the Nobel Prize in Medicine for inventing <sighs> the procedure. The year after Monitz's invention, an American neurologist named Walter Jackson Freeman adopted the procedure and renamed it the lobotomy. He modified the surgery by introducing the use of a surgical tool instead of alcohol, creating the prefrontal lobotomy. 
In September of 1936, Freeman and his neurosurgeon partner, James Watts, performed the first prefrontal lobotomy. In the United States. In the United States. And in 1945, he modified the procedure again and created the transorbital lobotomy, which he could perform quickly without leaving any scars. So why did they come to this conclusion? Why did they think, you know what we should do? Let's start cutting bits out of people's brains to make them calmer. And it was developed to treat severe mental health conditions and address the problem of overcrowding in psychiatric institutions during the 1930s. So what, if we kill a few, it doesn't really matter? Well, you've got a load of people who are a bit mad, screaming, shouting, you know, like the show, like the film. Yeah. You know, it only takes one thing to set them off, and if you've got overcrowding... Yeah. That was a nice little, quite sort of under. Well, it wasn't many people in there, was there? For the size of the building, the size of the, building, the, size of the yeah. ward, it was. It was quite spacious. Mm-hmm. As we'll see later on, some of these places are just like prisons, and you've got four or five in a room. Mm. You know, you only need one cell to go nuts before every other cell starts going nuts. They're all kicking off. Yeah, you've got in each other. You've got to, to quote to name a place going on Bedlam, haven't you? You've got Bedlam. Yeah, what can we do with these fuckers? So what can we do with them? Cut out part of their brain and make them extremely docile. You could even send them back home to their loved ones if their loved ones would look after them. They've probably been sent there though by the They've been sent there by their loved ones, that's a problem most of the time. Yeah, it was back then. Committed? You wouldn't want them in your society. You're only committed. Yeah, you're only committed in this country through the courts or by your family. Your family can have you committed. Might get Laura committed. (laughs) (laughs) Sweet. Now, Monitz thought that physical malfunction in the brain caused symptoms like psychosis and mental health conditions such as depression. He believed he could cure them by severing the connection between the frontal lobe and other regions, forcing a kind of reset. Monitz and Freeman both reported significant improvements in many of their patients. Although many showed no improvement, some even experiencing worse symptoms. But the lobotomy still took off. Again, because you've got that abuse of power, haven't you? If you've got a particularly violent patient that maybe could, over a period of years, be cured, or you know, think, you know what? That's going to cost a lot of money, keeping them here, having extra security. Let's just lobotomise them instead. If a significant amount did improve, you know... Yeah, but there's improvement in these terms is they're not trying to kill the nurse anymore. Do you know what I mean? They're not kicking off. They're not making life difficult for the people looking after them. They become very easy to look after. All of a sudden, all you've got to do is wipe their arse and clean their drool. Not always, though. Not always. Some did improve. Some did improve. I guess it would depend. I mean... Injecting alcohol into someone's brain, for example, there's going to be a lot of trial and error in that, isn't there? Yeah. The same as once you're in there at this point in history, you haven't got a little camera on the surgical tool, have you? You're just having a bit of a route around. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the only other option is a sedative when people are getting that brow deep. Yeah. That's what we do now. Yeah. It'd be just a normal sedative, and if someone was kicking off in a mental. Give them um, oral. As a sedative? No, sedative, yeah. Give them more as a sedative? No. I'm not going to one of them. Always makes me go to sleep after. (laughs) (laughs) Oral as sedatives under my regime (laughs) on the NHS. (laughs) The NHS have had the largest fleet of sex robots. So while some did improve, most people lost their ability to feel emotions and become apathetic, unengaged and unable to concentrate. And some became catatonic, and a few even died after the procedure. Yeah. And they were widely used in the late 1930s and through the early 1950s. And according to one 2013 research paper, roughly 60,000 lobotomies were performed in the United States and Europe in the two decades after the procedure was invented. Fuck. However, by the 1950s, the danger and side effects of lobotomies were becoming widely known, drawing more scrutiny from doctors and the public. And some high-profile incidents helped turn public opinion against lobotomies. For example, Freeman gave President John F. Kennedy's sister Rosemary a lobotomy that left her permanently incapacitated. That's a little-known thing that Rosemary Kennedy, JFK's sister, 
was given a lobotomy that left her permanently incapacitated. She watched his inauguration in a wheelchair in a mental in a, in a nursing home. Probably didn't even know what was going on. And there's two schools of thought on that one. I did a little bit of research into this, and basically the one side says that she was possibly a little bit dyslexic and awkward and a bit, little bit, I don't want to use the term slow, but not as intelligent as her brothers. Yeah. There was the three brothers and then her. She's got learning difficulties. She had learning difficulties. But that could have been because of dyslexia. But her mother wrote in her journal that the daughter was actually, could get quite violent and have mood swings. Whereas some people say that it was because she was a bit too sexually active and outspoken. Mm, Probably the latter. Cut her brain out. (laughs) And I suppose I can believe all of those, but the last one in particular, when you think that Kennedy Senior's ambition was to have one of his kids in the White House, then you can't have skeletons in your closet, so you can't have your sexually promiscuous daughter going around town besmirching your good family name when you're trying to push your boys into the highest reaches yeah. of American power. So they lobotomised her? So they gave her a lobotomy. Calm her down, but it didn't go to plan, and she ended up Fucked. in the wheelchair. So it kind of fell out of use after the 50s. Yeah, thank Because fuck. of antidepressants. But yeah, that was 63, the film, so... Three. Then it was probably quite rare. He was the only one probably in the whole... No, there was another guy with him, but that, isn't that film... Oh, that film is set in 53, but it's... 63. 63. 63. I guess they'd be on their way out, but because he tried to... I don't know, to, it's only but, a film. But because he was... I guess my headcanon for that is that because he basically tried to kill the nurse... Yeah. And he was committed, so she, he was potentially... If you're committed, then you're a ward of the state, aren't you? Yeah. The state basically decides your welfare, and if you're yeah. you've tried to kill a nurse yeah. who's trying to help you, remember, in their eyes anyway, mm-hmm. what goes on in the ward is they don't see that, but in their eyes, she's trying to help him and he's trying to kill her. They go, oh, this guy, he'll never get released. Best thing to do is to do that. Yeah, is to lobotomise him, calm him down. Maybe in this scenario, it didn't quite go, or it didn't go according to plan, and made him more vegetable-like. Or they did it, you know, the, the word was passed up. Make him like that, I guess you've got to look at in the film. You know, go a bit too much. Make sure you get it all. Yeah, I think he would have been one of the very few in the place to be lobotomised. I think there was only one other guy in the film, because mm-hmm. he was the one who was in the bed and they poured the uh, whiskey yeah. in his mouth, didn't they? That's and he sort of gave a big grin. He could be, yeah. Uh, I think he was. It has been banned in some places, but still performed on a limited basis in many countries. Still going on. Mm. In 1950, the Soviet Union banned the use of lobotomies because it was contrary to the principles of humanity. Uh, But not throwing you in a gulag for having a different political opinion. No, no, lobotomies. Yeah. Stalin thought he could lobotomise everyone into believing he was fucking God, he'd have done it. Other countries, including Japan and Germany, followed suit in later years. And in 1967, Freeman was banned from performing any further lobotomies after one of his patients suffered a fatal brain hemorrhage after the procedure. But the US, and much of Western Europe, never banned lobotomy. The procedure was still performed in these places throughout the 1980s. Wow. Even today, rarely performed, although they are still technically legal. I guess your problem is, is having found a doctor who would do it. Do it, yeah. Hey, Dr. Nick. (laughs) Hi, everybody! I was about to say that. Surgeons occasionally nowadays use a more refined type of psychosurgery called a cingulotomy in its place, and that involves targeting and altering specific areas of brain tissue. Do use it now to treat obsessive compulsive disorder that hasn't responded to other treatments, and sometimes to use it to treat chronic pain. That would be really specialised yeah. surgery, though, wouldn't I it? Yeah, I mean, you know? and also the OCD would be like, you're washing your hands every time you touch something and have to vacuum every three minutes. Yeah. You're not responding to treatment. But they're not cutting bits out of your brain in this scenario. <laughs> Nowadays, they're just altering little bits. Nowadays, they just put a tiny little whisk in there. 
like a little drill whisk. Yeah, no, no leg whisks that little bit of your brain. <laughs> Still, I think we can all agree you probably shouldn't be putting things into people's brains and removing things, especially injecting raw ethanol into someone's brain. That's not a good move. See, I was kind of with the whole electrotherapy in cases and done in a better way than it used to be done, fair enough. But yeah, lobotomies, fuck's sake. <laughs> yeah. But there's no need for it. No, because you've got better drugs nowadays. But if they were like a raging lunatic and they were killing people like five times a day because they had to because they were just absolutely psychotic and there's nothing they could do to stop them <laughs> that's their OCD <laughs> I'm going to kill five people a day <laughs> they'd, just, they'd just be lethal injected wouldn't they so well in this country they'd be locked up good on a death sentence do we would they be lobotomised then no they'd probably just be incredibly sedated at all times and strapped to a bed under thought yeah maybe probably in isolation extreme cases I'm looking like one every few years, maybe, because it says it still goes on. So it must happen now and again. But not to the extent that it was. No, no, no. Well, it's nowadays. It's 60,000 in, in a couple of decades, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, that's a bit much, isn't it? Yeah. Google, when was the last Lebanon performed exactly in Britain? That's exactly what I'm Googling, mm. my friend. You know me by now. The research dude. Yeah. Fact checker. Fact checker. Um, right. finder. Let's run through some of the 10 worst insane asylums that thankfully no longer exist. I'll do the first one. Bethlehem Royal Hospital, a.k.a. Bedlam, in London in the UK. Mm-hmm. Coming in at number one, the mm-hmm. UK. The Bentham Royal Hospital, notoriously referred as Bedlam, was one of the world's first mental institutions and considered as one of the insane asylums. It was founded by Christians in 1247. <laughs> Read into that what you will. And it was the only public mental institution in England until well into the 19th century. Oh. Bedlam was run by doctors in the Monroe family for over 100 years during the 18th and 19th centuries, and during this time, patients were dunked in cold baths, starved and beaten. Other forms of therapy included bloodletting, leeches, cupping glasses, and rotational therapy, which is where they would suspend you in a chair hanging from the ceiling and then spin the chair for more than 100 rotations <laughs> a minute. The patient would often vomit, no shit, which was seen as a healthy reaction. What? Many of the patients of Bedlam didn't survive their treatments. None were performed between 1999 and 2009, but one was performed in Bristol in 2010. Wow. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Over 20,000 people have undergone psychosurgical operations in the United Kingdom. Mm. Only one in the last 12 years. Apparently. Mm. Interesting. Treatments were so brutal at Bedlam that they would refuse admission to patients who could not be able to withstand them. <laughs> and in the late 1970s, Brian Cowther became Bedlam's chief surgeon. While his job was to care for sick patients, he was much more interested in their corpses. He dissected their brains looking for any physiological evidence that could be held responsible for mental illness and he continued these experiments for two decades. Well it was the 1790s. True and in the 1790s you could not get hold of fresh corpses for love nor money (laughs) and that's why grave robbers became a thing. This is mental this is. Reasons for admission. Let's have a look. Kicked in the head by a horse. There's one. Hysteria. Imaginary female trouble. Ill treatment by husband. Immoral life. Immoral life. Laziness. Jealousy and religion. Marrying <laughs> your son. <laughs> Masturbation for 30 years. What? Masturbation and syphilis. Menstrual deranged. There's <laughs> one for you. <laughs> you get that every month. <laughs> they could lock you up for that if you had nuts one month, put you in bedlam. Never. Mental excitement. Yeah. Politics is in there. <laughs> These are 1864 to 1889. Novel, Opium habit. Novel reading. Novel reading. Nymph- nymphomania. <laughs> so hold on, you read a book. Read too much of them. Yeah. Parents were cousins. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's that? Fighting fire. <laughs> What's that? Grief. It's the war. <laughs> Tobacco and masturbation. <laughs> I think I could have been overcommitted several times. Here. Yeah. 
Spinal irritation, gunshot wound, <laughs> asthma, deranged masturbation. Oh, fell from horse in war. Fell off your horse, have you? Into the insane asylum. Bad whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> Desertion of by husband. So if your husband deserts you, yeah, and you go mad, they'll, they'll take you. No, feebleness of intellect. I like that one. Female disease. Grief, obviously. Your fudge has gone green. <laughs> A gathering in the head. Oh, that's when you're talking to yourself. Is it snuff eating for two years? Yeah. Smallpox. I mean, that's a shitter, isn't it? Shooting your daughter. <laughs> women trouble. They actually put women trouble. Hard study. What the fuck? Oh, shit, egotism. Suppressed masturbation. Excitement as officer. <laughs> what does that mean? No Teary masturbation. You got I have no idea. Teary masturbation. Is there? The war. Is it? No. Right, let's move on to the next one then. That's fucked up, innit? Yeah. We'd all be fucked. Anyone could go in there basically. Yeah. Like, have a quick Ooh, whack. Greediness. <sighs> Oh, a lot of billionaires in there. I think the thing is, I think according to that list, everybody in society would be in there because we've all done one of them. Yeah. Self abuse isn't masturbation classed as self abuse. Uh, I think because oh. some people would see it, especially in them days. Bad company. Bad company. <laughs> Till the day I die. In a mental institution. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Not the not the not the song Bad Company on the album Bad Company by the band Bad Company as I get you locked up. Yeah. Shit. Deceived into the army. <laughs> Brain fever. Love it. Business um, nerves. What's all that? So your business is failing. So you little nervous shakes or something. In you come. Sadly, the system was abused, and many women were locked up at Bethlehem. For reasons such as postnatal depression, infidelity, disagreeing with their husbands and alcoholism. Poorer women were often dumped to the hospital because their husbands were fed up with them. <laughs> disagreeing with their husbands. No. Yeah. There's what, 64, it could be like women there. Probably, yeah. 70, 30, I don't know. Oh, you'd have been dumped there fucking years ago, Claire. Oh no, yeah. Dumped there because their husbands are fed up with them. <laughs> <laughs> There's something about That's the bird me. man in humour in you that likes that, isn't there? That's <laughs> madness, isn't it? That's the building, it's pretty impressive though. I'd imagine it wasn't like that inside. <laughs> no longer an institution, now it's a museum. Okay, so the Willowbrook State School, aka the Snake Pit. <laughs> it already sounds awesome. Pretty fucking metal. <laughs> <laughs> Snake Pit! Stanton Island in the United States. Willowbrook is partially inspired inspiration of the American horror story, The Asylum. Although it was called a school, the reality was far from a place of education. Residents rarely attended class and they reportedly the only time that they would be allowed outside was during the summer when the building became dangerously hot to remain inside. <laughs> so the only time you're allowed outside is when it's just too dangerous oh. to be inside. So it was just metal cabins then basically. It was for children with intellectual disabilities. So it's like Kids. People with learning disabilities, yeah. or you know, not that's fucking shocking. Not quite up to grammar schools, you know, standards or state school. Yeah, look at the medical experiments with it. Right, in the same asylum and hospitals, it was built in 1942 specifically for children. However, it was converted into an army hospital after the World War Two, then reverting back to the children's hospital. They did loads of medical experiments. There was an outbreak of hepatitis at the hospital in the first decade of use. How is hepatitis getting into a children's hospital? That's a sexually transmitted disease, isn't it? Can't Depends, be hep B, hep C. Through blood. It's passed through blood as well, isn't it? Yeah, so. I guess so. So to combat this, medical experiments were done on the children patients. Experiments involved deliberately infecting children with the hepavirus there you go, hepatitis virus to see how it was spread. Fuck me. So that's how they got hepatitis. <laughs> the truth about what was going on inside Willowbrook's walls started to come to light in 1965 after a visit by Robert Kennedy, 
At the time, the facility designed to house up to 4,000 residents had more than 6,000 residents. Wow. wow. And the ratios of staff to residents was 50 to 1. Jesus. So they were overrun by <coughs> 2,000 people, 50 patients to one fucking employee. Jesus. Yep. Robert Kennedy said the children were living in filth and dirt, their clothing in rags, in rooms less comfortable and cheerful than the cages in which you put animals in a zoo. Jesus. This isn't that long ago. However, it wasn't until Geraldo Riviera investigated Willowbrook after being given access by a doctor who had been fired from the institution and wanted to expose what it truly was. Mm. And he uncovered a truly terrible conditions at the asylum and, and the asylum came under fire. Surprisingly. Well, that's fucking... It's basically, they were just mistreated all the kids, using them for experiments. Riviera recorded footage of naked children wandering the horse, covered in their own urine and feces. Basic hygiene was not taught. Soap, toothpaste and towels were not provided. There were also reports of physical abuse and sexual assault. Jesus, yeah. so that's how your appetite has come from, isn't it? Well, they were giving it to them as well, yeah, wasn't yeah. they? You know, that's bad in itself. Terrible. That's horrific. Yeah. That was happening in the 1960s in America under peak capitalism. Mm. Yeah. Overbrook insane asylum. The bin. Mm. 1896. The site up for the Essex County Hospital Centre, formerly known as the Overbrook Insane Asylum, was selected due to its remote high-altitude location, which is believed could provide a healthy, peaceful setting for patients to rehabilitate in. The hospital was built as a nearby Newark hospital, it was overcrowded, and the hospital was to re- relive, relieve. sorry, relieve the pressure. Overbrook in its heyday could serve up to 3,000 patients even though it was only built to serve 1,600 at the time during the 1930s and the 1960s the hospital was sprawled over 325 acre plot multiple buildings many connected by underground tunnels which some are still there underground tunnels is pretty fucking cool though isn't it Mm. it was initially built as a general hospital for the public but was transitioned into mentally insane asylum in 1920s. The hospital was the stuff of nightmares, with electroshock therapy, insulin shock therapy, and lobotomies commonly in place. Fucking hell. Insulin shock therapy. That's a new one. Mm-hmm. So they give you insulin to lower your blood sugar to a point Straight into the brain? I don't know. No, maybe that's a, they bring on the shock the other way, so instead of using the electric... They want to create a seizure. Right. So instead of giving you electricity, they're giving you insulin. But I thought if you went that low in blood sugar, you'd just slip into a diabetic coma. I'm not sure about a a seizure, Mm. Mike. I don't know. It's going to be a a, a beat. Give me a brief fact check on that, please, if you can. Insulin shock therapy. Oh, well, yes. So, unfortunately, the beautiful location could not make up for the lack of care the patients received. In the winter of 1917, the boilers keeping the hospital warm suffered a major failure. 24 patients froze to death in their beds. Fucking hell. (laughs) During the century the hospital was open, over 10,000 patients died. Oh, shit. Overbrook was only closed in 2007. Wow. And the mental asylum part of the hospital was demolished in 2018. Wow. Well, it's fucking mental. <laughs> <laughs> what am I fact checking? What's insulin shock therapy? Right. Trenton Psychiatric Hospital. Another one in New Jersey. Yeah, I meant to look at insulin shock therapy mm-hmm. and I forgot. <laughs> My bad. It was founded in 1848. It was the first public institution to promote patient privacy and a welcoming environment. In 1907, Dr. Henry Cotton became the hospital's medical director. Initially, Dr. Cotton... Oh, Dr. Cotton. EastEnders reference, sorry, right? Doc Cotton complied with the facility's ethos. He brought in occupational therapy programmes 
and got rid of cruel restraints. Well, that's nice. However, he also believed mental illness was caused by infections and could be treated by surgery. That's not nice. Doc Cotton and his staff routinely cut out teeth, stomach, gallbladders, colons, testicles and ovaries. Ooh. He claimed to have achieved cure rates of nearly 90%. On the other hand, the number of deaths at the facility was extraordinarily high. Doc Cotton died in 33. However, some of his practices continued for decades after. When was that? So he was 18... 1848 and 1907. All right. Fuck me. So, insulin shock therapy is... Or insulin coma therapy... Uh. A form of psychiatric treatment in which patients were repeatedly injected with large doses of insulin in order to produce daily comas over several weeks. Have I earned my doctor's badge yet? Mm. It was introduced. You bones, Claire. <laughs> it was introduced in 1927 by Austrian-American psychiatrist Manfred Sackel, and used exclusively intensively in the 1940s and 50s mainly for schizophrenia, before falling out of favour and being replaced by neuroleptic drugs in the 60s. Well, mm. there you go then. So that was another way of getting you to induce a, a shock, or a seizure, or a coma as well. Coma, yeah. Topeka State Hospital, location Kansas in the US. Topeka State Hospital opened in 1872 as the Topeka Insane Asylum to provide treatment to criminals and the mentally ill. The hospital was in operation from 1872 until 1997 was built as an expansion to the Asawatomi State Hospital on 80 acres of land. The hospital routinely carried out castrations as it was legal under Kansas law. Oh dear, oh dear. Other reports claim the patients were beaten and sexually abused. They were, Do you think they were hit with their own penis? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> Literally cut, slapped with your own castrated penis. That's horrifying. Yeah. Well, that'll make you better, won't it? <laughs> <laughs> get better, damn you, get better. <laughs> oh, next it'll be up your ass. <laughs> there is even a story of a reporter who visited the facility who saw a patient who had been strapped down for so long that his skin had started to grow over his restraints. Oh, fuck, no fucking way. That's seven shit, that, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. When he has that man down in the basement. Sloth. Yeah. yeah. Sloth? Sin of sloth? I think it is. After rumours of tortures and rapes in the hospital, Kansas State Governor at the time, Frank Carlson, did an investigation into the practice of the hospital, finding out there was little or no paperwork for admitted patients. Yeah probably thought to have been the most horrific and abusive institution of all time. Closed in 1997, although obviously that all wasn't going up until 1997, that was in the early days. But So they don't really know how many people would have died there if there was a lot of people there without any records then? No, yeah. that's it. And all the records were um, destroyed as the patients died, possibly. Oh, well, the last, last days of Nazi Germany, the hospital's closing. We've got a report coming in, shred all the documents. Oh, they'll be in the backyard, like mm. like that church. Where was that again? Oh, God. Oh, Canada? Canada, oh, Canada you know, rings mm. Yeah. And the children's homes for the native people. Mm. Yeah, that was Canada, yeah. That'd be some of that going around, around the grounds, wouldn't there? There's plenty of grounds, wouldn't there? Yeah. Oh, 80 acres. Vulnerable people. That's where these sickos gravitate to, don't they? Yeah. Of course. You've only got to look at the people like Mengele as well, haven't you? You always get someone psychotic in charge. Jimmy Savile. Well, he wasn't a doctor, but he still went no, to the hospital, well, didn't he? He might as well have fucking been. He was a porter, the, wasn't he? He was a porter. He says he was given, he might as well have been, you know what I mean? God, he was given free access, wasn't he? Exactly. Literally the keys to the hospital. Oof. Claire? Gladesville Mental Hospital in Sydney, Australia. The Turban Creek Mental Hospital was opened in 1838 on the aptly named Bedlam Point no. in Sydney on the shores of the Parramatta River. Yeah. In the following two years, instead of patients, it housed convicts. At one stage, there was 146 inmates in a facility designed for 60 Ooh, that's not good. When... Turban Creek changed to Gladesville Mental Hospital in the 20th century. 
there were still problems. A doctor resigned in 1954 after being found smoking while delivering electric shock therapy and staff were accused of burning the head of one female patient after zapping her with too many electric shocks. <gasps> Let's just go into the smoking bit. That's every hospital in the United Kingdom in 1954. The doctors will be walking around smoking a pipe. Yeah. Tuberculosis, eh? Mm. They were smoking all the time, weren't they? Yeah, everyone smoked in the 50s. Yeah. I, you can't blame them. I mean, all right, have a bit of professionalism. Have a fag in your mouth while you're doing electroshock <laughs> therapy. But you know what I mean? If you're on your rounds... Yeah. Ah, oh, how was the appendix today, Mrs Smith? <laughs> oh, have 20 cigarettes, that'll cure you. Well, we were just saying about the skeletons in the closet for the other one. This one had over a thousand skeletons remained at the site which illustrates the stigma that mental health had at the time. Families refused to pick up their relatives' bodies when they died, forcing the instruction to create mass graves. The institution to create mass graves. Oh, great. Madness, isn't it? That's yep. it. That was the stigma around it, you know. If it, yeah. Even people that were just like what they used to call deaf and dumb, you know, they, they were highly stigmatised in, you know, in community, weren't they? Look at the chief. Yeah. Chief, I bet he went mm. there and he, you know, he just couldn't speak their language and they and he just stayed a bit quiet and that's why he got put in there. Well, he went in there because it was uh, better than being outside, wasn't it? Yeah. For him, he was like, "What well, if I just pretend to be this? They'll put me in here." Yeah. Pete. So Beechworth Lunatic Asylum, another one in Australia, in Victoria. So Lunatic Asylum. The second oldest asylum in Australia, established in 1867, the Beechworth Lunatic Asylum. Hospital housed as many as 1,200 patients at any one time, but many did not get out alive. Over the 128 years of operation, it is believed over 9,000 patients died there. There were no strict entry requirements. All that was necessary from, was a request from a relative and a signature from a doctor who wasn't even required to perform an examination. Wow. The, hosp- the hospital. Burst, yeah. It? yeah. So the hospital closed in 1995, but now operates as a campus of a La Trobe University, as well as a hotel and conference centre. The area is said to be haunted by several ghosts. These days, it's got to be two doctors and a family member that that signed to get you committed. Wow. And if you're intoxicated or on a, any sort of substance at all, they'll keep you safe until they can do mm. a proper examination on you. Well, that's something. Yeah. That bloke there looks a bit uh, distressed. Just a bit. Because he's girding, I <laughs> I think he's getting electrocuted. I think Probably. he's getting electrocuted as well. Poor bugger. Fernald State School, Massachusetts. This institution was originally called Massachusetts School for the Feeble-Minded. Oh, God. That's a bit basically incorrect nowadays, yeah. isn't it? So, again, kids with learning disabilities and stuff in yeah. it, and maybe physical disabilities. Although originally meant to take in the mentally handicapped, the school started accepting patients who were simply poor or unwanted. Just, just read that Aww. next bit there. The school was renamed after its third superintendent. He was a strong advocate for eugenics. Oh, Jesus Christ. Uh, Let's name the school for the slightly slower learning kids after a guy that believed in eugenics or, under his beliefs, all these kids would be fucking killed. The school was used for this purpose. In fact, it has been estimated as many as 50% of patients were not mentally handicapped at all. More scandal arose in the 40s and 50s when radiation tests began. The patients were given incentives such as trips, foods and parties to join the science club where they were systematically exposed to small doses of radiation and their absorption of the toxic energy was monitored. They were also injected with radioactive chemicals. These practices continued for decades until the 70s. Oh, my God. Jesus. This is America, isn't it? Yeah. Jesus. Where your family's from? Massachusetts. Yeah. Today, most of the institutions... Although 13 patients still occupy a small cluster of buildings and a portion of the campus. Okay, let's just look at the horror of that again. They did it to the 70s, right? Mm-hmm. And then they said, oh, bring it up to humane standard. Had they just gained all the knowledge they could from the testing? 
potentially in the 70s and then the gone 70s, out. it was a real turning point wasn't it? it across the globe it was just happening i think as the science started backing up well, a lot of these, even close to 1997. They just stopped doing those practices in the, in the 70s, 80s, 90s, 50s, maybe 60s, but in the early days, yeah, that was all the go, wasn't mm -hmm. it? I think as the science has caught up, and you know, with our want to be more humanitarian... Ethical. Ethical, yeah. I think that's what's brought it on, isn't it? And the turn, I say the turning point was the 70s, wasn't it? Again, look at it cynically, had they just garnered all the information they could from injecting people with radiation substances, studying the effects of radiation poisoning on the body so they know how to deal with it better? You're only going to use the things that are available to you until somebody says, oh, that's got to change, isn't it, as well? Yes, but, you know, they just really looked into it as well. But, you know, the 70s, you are right, things started to get better. Things are more professional. There were certain standards brought in because remember every state has got its own rules doesn't it in america that's the problem mm. well i think we knew we started knowing more about what what they used to class as feeble mindedness mm. we, you, you know mm. we'd know that that person has got what looks like an autism that one has got down syndrome that one's got spina bifida you know these things were starting to, to come to the fore weren't they yeah yeah. Still got a long way to go on mental health. Oh, absolutely. Long way oh, yeah. to go. Absolutely. So we're going to end there? Yeah. All right. Thank you very much for listening. I've been Ben. You can follow us on Facebook at Cutting the Bull in the Post-Truth Apocalypse. SoundCloud is Cutting the Bull in the PTA, and that's on most other podcasting platforms. And YouTube is Apocalypse Bull. Thanks a lot for listening. Don't join the Flavor Aid, and don't join a call. I've been Mike, thanks for listening, peace out, may the force be with you. And I've been Claire, keep an open mind, but not so open that it dribbles out your ears, guys. And I've been Pete, keep an open mind, but not too open that it's falling out of your head, like with the lobotomies. <laughs> Don't inject raw alcohol into your brain. <laughs> it's a rule to live by.